the swing, and doctors weren't exempt from the draft. The National Institutes of Health, NIH, which included a number of disease-specific institutes, was one of the few legal outs. It was part of the public health service, which was considered one of the uniformed services. If you served there as a clinical associate, that is, a trainee, you got credit for serving in the armed forces. I'd blown my interview for a spot as a clinical associate at the National Heart Institute, yet I'd been offered one at the National Cancer Institute. It was a depressing assignment, but it was fighting cancer or stitching people back together on the battlefield. I chose cancer. At the NCI, I saw a lot of people who looked just like my Aunt Violet had at the end of her life. Gaunt, sad, yellow. In the many years since her death, neither the treatments nor the survival rate had changed much. People still whispered the word cancer. One of my first patients told me that when he and his wife took their evening walk, their neighbors quietly slipped away, as if what he had were catching. At cocktail parties, even his friends served him his drinks in paper cups, so fearful were they that his disease, or his bad luck, was contagious and couldn't be washed off the glassware. The study of cancer was a stagnant field, a no-man's land populated by only a handful of doctors and researchers regarded by most of their colleagues as nuts, losers, or both. That's what I thought, too. It was what most people in the medical field believed. When I was a medical student doing my hospital training at George Washington University Hospital, There'd been just one doctor, a beak-nosed endocrinologist named Louis K. Alpert, who dared to try to do more for these patients. He was dosing them with nitrogen mustard, the first anti-cancer drug to be discovered, in the hope that he could kill their cancer without killing them. Nobody thought he would succeed. Most people mocked him behind his back. We called him and his medicine... Lewis the Hawk and his poisons. There were not many like him, physicians trying to extend the lives of cancer patients. More commonly, the patients were sent to nursing homes to die or told to go home and get their affairs in order. That patients might want a shot at something more was not part of most doctors' thinking. The general feeling was that efforts to cure cancer patients were bound to fail. As late as the 1960s, the respected chief of medicine at Columbia University, refused to let his medical trainees make rounds on the cancer wards, lest their careers be tainted by the futility they would encounter there. This chief of medicine told the doctor in charge of this ward, the late Alfred Gellhorn, who did want to try to do more for these patients, that he was part of the lunatic fringe. And so it would have continued if not for work that would soon begin at the National Cancer Institute, initiated by a handful of mavericks on the same wards where I landed as a trainee in 1963. Their research, in which I took part, led to the first use of a combination of drugs known as combination chemotherapy to treat and, increasingly, to cure childhood leukemia. Learning from them, I came up with a combination chemotherapy regimen for Hodgkin's disease, which cured 80% of people with advanced disease. It was a first, 
and it did not escape the notice of a brilliant, wealthy socialite and influential health advocate, Mary Lasker, who had lost her own husband to cancer. Before long, with her unique combination of political acumen, medical savvy, and a dedicated pool of lobbyists, Mary managed to convince the President, Congress, and the nation that we were on the brink of a breakthrough and that it was time to invest large sums of money to conquer cancer. On December 23, 1971, in front of a throng of journalists, a jubilant President Richard M. Nixon signed the National Cancer Act, which launched the War on Cancer, an unprecedented federal research effort. The legislation set aside $100 million for the research to be overseen by the director of the National Cancer Institute, who would be appointed by the president. Today, more than 40 years have passed, and the country has spent...